How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Lent. Now, I guess in an absolute sense, we'd say no, but when you stop and look at what Lent is, where it takes us in Scripture, what practices it encourages, you're going to do Lent whether you want, if you're a Christian, you're going to do Lent whether you realize it or not. It's simply the basics of the baptized life writ large for 40 days. And why 40 days? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about the 40 days of Lent, Dr. John Bombaro, Special Project Supervisor at the Naval Chaplaincy School in Newport, Rhode Island, and author of recent columns titled Lent's 40 Days and Our Need for Lent. John, welcome back. Thank you for welcoming me, Todd. How has the Church seen the number 40 as significant in Scripture? Well, because the number 40 appears all over Scripture, and in fact, it appears more than 158 times in well, at least the King James and New King James translation. So this number 40 in Scripture already symbolizes a period of testing, of hardship, probation, trial, indeed, even divine judgment uh, toward purification or divine judgment itself, which is a bit antithetical to the way that we usually hear about 40 in terms of like Rick Warren's purpose-driven life, such that takes you through to uh, new levels of the best you after 40 days. The scriptural meaning is it has, you know, stronger overtones than that. Moses's life, for example, can be divided up into three blocks of 40. You know, he lives to 100 and 20 years, and his principal ministry takes place from the age of 80 to 120. We have other examples of it in Scripture. For 40 years, Moses' life has him growing up in Pharaoh's household. We have Moses on Mount Sinai again, 40 days and 40 nights. The first three kings over God's people, Saul, David, and Solomon, each ruled for 40 years. It was pretty significant there, and this is obviously going to have strong Christological overtones here. There's a typology at play with Moses, with the kings and such. And we find Elijah, for example, he goes 40 days without food and water on Mount Horeb. And then famously, of course, Jesus, tempted by the devil, during his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Then after his glorious resurrection, our Lord appears to the disciples and various groups of people, including many hundreds, perhaps up to a thousand at a time. And that takes place over a space of 40 days. And then there's the command to wait an additional 10 days, which brings us to Pentecost when the disciples receive the, the power and illumination of the Holy Spirit. 
going back all the way to the noetic account of the flood, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. So 40 is this really important number, the 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness, uh, the 40 days spent embalming the body of the patriarch Jacob. 40 is a very significant biblical number, and the church has rightly observed that and incorporated it into the rhythm of the life of the church. Historically, how did Lent come to be marked by 40 days? Historically speaking, if we go back to the popular notion of the second century church father, Tertullian, he says that this number 40 commemorates the number of hours that Jesus was in the tomb and, and therefore perfectly observing and keeping the Sabbath on our behalf. You know, So no work being done there, Jesus perfectly rested, thus fulfills the Sabbath, and so he can inaugurate the fulfillment of the Sabbath, which is the year of Jubilee, what we enjoy in the life of the church. So that was one. See, what he was saying was that one day would correspond to one hour, thus fulfilling the Sabbath for all humanity. That's what Jesus does. And then he says what the church wants to do is observe the same kind of fast, the same kind of patience as we're waiting for our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find this in the parables that Jesus gives in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 35. So the bride laments, she prepares herself, she repents, and she waits for her bridegroom's return. And so Christians were to thus fast from Good Friday through Easter Vigil, the same time that Jesus was in the tomb. And then the fast ends with the Easter Mass, which would happen as early as 3 a.m. or at Sunday sunrise, where we get the whole idea of uh, sunrise service and such. Another suggestion was that the number 40 referred to the number of the days that the fast lasted, and they wanted to draw a correlation to Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. So we have those two correlations that are taking place, historically speaking. Why are Sundays in Lent not counted? Oh, this is the most important point, and that's because the Lord's Day, Sunday, was not to be kept as the fast in the church. So really what you wind up with is 36, or you wind up with 39 days as you do in the East, and that seems to be close enough to 40, but what has to be omitted from the observance of Lent in terms of any kind of fasting or self-deprecation that's happening is Resurrection Day. The fact of Jesus's resurrection was the inviolable rock on which Christianity was set along with his blood atonement. And that was to be celebrated and observed on the day of the new creation, the first day of the new week, the new beginning. The life in the kingdom was made manifest on Sunday with Jesus's resurrection. And so to bring that into the, the spirit of Lent with its darker overtones and such was not permitted. So as we go back and we read the sermons of early Christian apologists, as well as preachers like John Christotham, they were always making sure that Lent was outside of that season. In fact, St. John Christotham calls the Sundays of Lent 
stations and inns and havens for those to rest who have taken upon them the course of fasting in this holy time of Lent that they may refresh their bodies a little from the labors of fasting. Uh, So this was the day where we feasted, we celebrated with the king who was inviting us to his table, who was bestowing his divine benediction on us, who was announcing the good news of our vindication, our justification, all on account of Christ. So Sundays were omitted because it was the day of celebration. You mentioned a bunch of biblical 40s. What would you say are the primary biblical precedents for observing 40 days in Lent? Well, I would say the primary biblical precedent, if we, we go back to the Old Testament archetype, is, is going to be Moses on Mount Horeb for the 40 days, such that we read in Exodus chapter 24. That's the biblical archetype there. What corresponds to that is Elijah's 40 days of fasting on the same mount. As we move to the New Testament, the antitype for that is Jesus's 40 days of fasting following his baptism. And so it's really the baptism of Jesus and then his removal into the wilderness, the strengthening and galvanizing of his spirit for the vocation that has been given to him, his vocation of being the redeemer and savior of the world. This becomes the most important aspect, the touchstone for the observance of Lent. So moving away from one hour corresponding to actually Jesus's 40 days themselves. So that's where we would go. Why didn't 16th century reformer Martin Luther dispense with Lent altogether as the radical reformers did? Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm really glad that Luther didn't. First of all, there's so many wonderful biblical texts bound up with it, and Luther loved these texts, and he would preach on them, and midweek preaching as well. And he saw this as a really important time for catechetical preaching and instruction. The principal reason is because Luther was the catalyst for the conservative Reformation. He saw himself as an evangelical Catholic, as the gospel Catholic, removing those obstacles of law away from God's good and particularly sacramental gifts to us. What Luther understood was that Scripture alone doesn't mean that the church only has Scripture. That's the only thing in our possession. Even though this is the highest and final authority for the church, there were other things that were part of the great heritage and possession of the church, such that were didactic, that formed the customs of the church, provided good order to the church, and Lent was one of those wonderful things. For Luther, he saw how this period of celebration truly did service to the church as a catechetical time, not only for striving toward resurrection life, such that was bound up with baptism, a really strong Lutheran emphasis, but also the third use of the law, preaching what the kingdom expectations were and such. And so a period of of indeed fasting and reform, but also striving for resurrection life. Luther saw that this great heritage of the church fit into the larger calendar that revolved around even time itself, the very calendar itself being subservient to the cycle of Jesus's own life. And so Jesus is now not only the Lord of the church, he's the Lord of time, he's the Lord of space, he's the Lord in our own lives and fusing the accomplishments of Christ and his own life cycle with the calendar was seen by Luther as a wonderful possession of the church and so it was not discarded. How did Luther then, in particular ways, reform Lenten practice? 
Well, the first one was the liturgical reforms that actually served as a catalyst for the Reformation. And I'll, I'll just pause here to say there's a sense in which the Reformation itself was a liturgical Reformation. It started with the sacrament of penance, and Luther saw that the insertion of making satisfaction or doing works of satisfaction did not belong. You, know, you couldn't have a person who exercised contrition, made confession, but then had to make and do works of satisfaction to evidence that they were truly contrite, and that once they did that, they warranted absolution, and then absolution would then come. He, he said this is not the obligation or the responsibility of Jesus's ambassadors, his called and ordained clergy. Rather, even if your brother comes to you seven times in the same day with the same sin and repents, you must forgive him. And this is what Luther understood. And he also recognized that Jesus is the only one that could make perfect satisfaction, both in terms of his fulfillment of the law. So Jesus is the only one who is perfectly meritorious or has any merit to give to another. There's no works of supererogation that anyone else can share with anyone else. Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills the law. For to break the law in one point is to be a lawbreaker. Christ is not. He fulfills it for us. But also that Jesus made a blood atonement and that he expiated and propitiated our sin. So Jesus was the gospel in the gospel sacrament of penance itself. So what Luther does is he brings this back, and this serves as a catalyst not only for the Reformation, but also serves as a catalyst for Lent. So instead of working up the evidence of your penitence, rather, one received absolution, hence Sundays were so important. Sundays were particularly important for Luther because as you failed throughout the week in doing your penance and amidst your fasting and striving to do good works and to live resurrection life in the here and now, you resorted in Sunday and you heard the gospel word from our Lord Jesus absolving us in absolution, proclaiming it to us in the preaching, reading it to us from his official chronicles, that's to say the holy scriptures from the gospel themselves, and then if there was any doubt, he invites us to his holy table to feast upon his body and blood so that the very means of our reconciliation of the atonement enter into us so that we have the highest confidence that indeed we are forgiven. So Luther reforms it by shifting things from an emphasis and onus upon the law to the gospel. And, and so even the sacrament of penance, the moniker for it changes in the Lutheran tradition. It becomes holy absolution. The emphasis falling on what God does to us and does for us based upon what Christ has accomplished seen as how he is the only one to make satisfaction. This had, you know, was like the pebble into the pond that caused ripples for Lent and Lutheran evangelical Catholic observance of Lent. And so it had practical implications too. So you had, of course, your Lenten rigors and such, but that measure of Lent, what truly was the measure of Lent was one's faith and dependence upon Christ to whom we resorted to and actually spent time hearing his true voice and basking in his real presence amidst his self-donation on Sundays as we attended to the divine service. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. We're talking about the 40 days of Lent. He says that Luther's view of the Passion was a double helix event. We'll find out what he means next. 
What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the 40 Days of Lent with Dr. John Bombaro, author of recent columns titled Lent's 40 Days and Our Need for Lent. You say that uh, Martin Luther viewed Christ's passion as what you call a double helix event. What do you mean by that? Well, this is another thing that Luther brought, which was an element of reform to Lent, and that is this theme called Christus Victor, which means the victorious Christ. We'll see this in iconography, for example, when you see Christ upon the cross, but he's wearing the crown, not of thorns, but of a diadem, and usually the purple robe or bedecked with gold and that sort of thing. And he's in a posture of resurrection. And yet still, you may see the nails, the blood from the hands and such. The the point that Luther was emphasizing was that the victory was won there, which brings our justification on Resurrection Sunday. Sins assuaged, his righteousness imputed to us. So Luther wanted this important motif to be proclaimed. So the passion of Christ is not merely an occasion for us to pity Jesus who winds up dying on the cross. This other theme, running concurrent with it, is the Christus Victor, which articulates the passion of Christ in conjunction with the blood atonement on the cross. So we know the resurrection is coming, but the resurrection Its victory is assured because Jesus has made atonement. He has accomplished reconciliation upon the Holy Cross. So not just looking at what Jesus has done on the cross in terms of bearing all of our sin, and we lament that to be sure. At the same time, we look upon his passion on the Holy Cross, and we see that as the victory, and we embrace it and celebrate it as such. So it's through this double helix that the kingdom of God becomes a this world reality. God rules in Jesus through the forgiveness of sins, and the moment that it breaks in for us is upon the Holy Cross itself. I just want to say one more thing there, and Jesus gives us that nugget three times over in the Synoptic Gospels, where during the Passover Haggadah, during the Passover meal itself, he tells them, after he takes the third cup, the cup of Eucharistes, the cup of thanksgiving, 
And he says to them, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And so now we're looking. We're looking to see where God's kingdom breaks in, what it looks like, and who in fact is his king when Jesus drinks from the fruit of the vine again. And after bleeding out on the cross, he says, I thirst. They put sour wine upon hyssop, again, the branch that's associated with covenant, the new covenant in his blood about to break through, sucks from the sponge, the sour wine into his mouth, and he says, testelestai, consummation, it is finished. The victory happens there. And so in the upper room, Passover God has an open parentheses, and then the closed parentheses, the cup of thanksgiving that we drink is the cup of consummation in his blood, closed parentheses, upon the Holy Cross. How is Lent often misunderstood, even by those who practice it? I think that we go into Lent thinking that it's about just putting things off, purging things from our lives. And it definitely has that aspect to it that's not to be denied at all. And Luther wouldn't have denied that in the least bit, and the church certainly hasn't done so. But we've gone so far as to think that that's all that it's about. And what it's really about, ultimately, is again that we are the baptized. And this is why Luther wanted catechetical preaching to take place during the midweek Lenten services. Uh, This was about instructing the Christian on the way of godliness and righteousness and what the Christian life looked like and the virtues that were bound up with it, love and good works for one's neighbor, never for justification, but rather because we were possessed by the Spirit of Christ. And then as kingdom people having been renewed, this is what resurrection life looked like. So there was the negative and positive aspects of it. I think that we emphasize the negative too much, you know, about, well, I'm giving up this, that, or the other thing, and it seems like it only happens for a few weeks, and then we pick those things back up. Luther and the conservative Reformation were going back to what the early church was saying about Lent from the time of John Chrysostom and at other periods, that it's really about striving after resurrection life. And so for this reason, I think that sometimes when we purge things like the glory and excelsis and omit the alleluias from Sundays in Lent, the use of the color purple, we've wound up absorbing Sundays into Lent rather than understanding that they were always meant to stand outside of Lent. You know, if we had a a life that was a, a little more regular at church and that we got into the rhythm of Lent, we would be attending midweek Lenten services. And would that more of our churches offered daily mass or an opportunity to come and be part of the canonical services, the canonical hours, we would feel the Lenten rhythm much more acutely, such that the church did for, say, its first 1,700 years of, of celebrating and observing Lent. So I think the Western character of this penitential character of Lent that has spilled over into Sundays has really obscured the nature of the commemorations of the resurrection. Finally, why do we need Lent? We need Lent because it's so deeply biblical. That's to say that the content, the significance of Lent brings us to a personal engagement Indeed, even an existential encounter with this number 40 that appears over and over in Scripture, but finds its reality and fulfillment in Christ Jesus himself. It allows us to tether our lives to the life of Jesus 
both his death and resurrection, the mortification of the flesh for us, but also striving after godliness. It gives us a period of time in the mundane rhythms of weeks in and weeks out for the annual calendar to be punctuated with a time in which the church is acutely focusing on striving after godliness and remembering that indeed it is by grace alone that we are saved through the gift of faith alone and that on account of Jesus Christ alone, and that it has ramifications, that there are implications, namely that resurrection life has been poured into us now that we have been justified by God's grace, cleansed and renewed. His Holy Spirit has been put into us. And so it's a time for the church to be refreshed in kingdom living, in love for one another, and in good works. Dr. John Bombaro is Special Projects Supervisor at the Naval Chaplaincy School in Newport, Rhode Island, and author of recent columns titled Lent's 40 Days and Our Need for Lent. You will find a link to these columns at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. John, thanks. Have a blessed Lent, and the same to you and yours. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Evangelical and Catholic, you're listening to Issues Etc.